Hey everybody, welcome back to Tapped In. I'm Dave Morales, and as you know, we hang out and chat with people involved in the local brewing scene. Today, I'm excited to introduce you to Greg Spore, the head brewer of the recently opened Terramar Brewery down in Edison. Some pretty exciting stuff going on down there. Really good food, great beer and cocktails, and even a future distillery. We covered a lot of ground sitting down in the middle of the holidays, so let's just cut to the chase and get to it. Enjoy. Thanks for taking the time out to, for sure. uh, yeah. to step away from the brewery. Oh, here. Be here. Yeah. <laughs> Always appreciated. Um, we spoke, uh, I don't know if that was like a month ago or so. Yeah. Steph and I were down there and uh, checking out the lay of the land, you know, down in Edison. And um, she got me beat because she's been there a few times. <laughs> a few more times. Yeah. Um, we were just talking about this, but let's uh, let's revisit it. We mm-hmm. realized that, uh, that we probably met informally at the uh, Alaska barley uh or what, beer, Alaska, and barley wine. beer and barley yep. wine festival which yep. is was canceled this year did you know that i didn't know it was canceled this yeah, year but... i got i got the email to uh for the invitation to judge uh-huh. and then a week later got the ones like it doesn't Aurora. surprise me it, yeah, <laughs> yeah i know yeah there Aurora was productions about... is definitely not the i don't know sharpest tool in the shed the nicest people all exactly. of those will be above i got yeah. all of that <laughs> the last time that i was yeah. there in 2017 um we were talking to uh, Eric knows Gabe oh, as okay, well, yeah, yeah. Uh, Eric Georgeson, yeah, North Fork. and we were out there, and he was like, "I don't go to that. I'm not doing that." No, yeah, that's <laughs> a lot of Alaskan breweries. Like I was telling you, Denali stopped going in like yeah. 2017, I think. Mm-hmm. They just got sick and tired of kind of like donating a bunch of beer with a company that's making a bunch of money off yeah. of it yeah. and very little to show for it in the nonprofit mm-hmm. end of it, you know. Yeah, it and, just seemed like a bad situation. And just, yeah, out of hand and just, yeah, it wasn't even about the beer anymore. It was just getting tanked, mm-hmm. you know? Right, right. right. <laughs> At a barley wine festival Weird, yeah, right? in Alaska? <laughs> yeah. In the yeah. middle of January? <laughs> During a blizzard was yeah. the last time I was oh, there. Okay, yeah. It was like so bad. <laughs> yeah. Funny story. I was actually, so I lived, and this is ties into the question. Uh-huh. I lived uh, in Denali National Park. Oh, really? And, yeah. uh and spent some time in Talkeetna in like 94 and 95. Oh, wow. Um, I actually had a dog that was named Talkeetna. Oh. I called her Teak, but <laughs> still. So when we were leaving, because uh, we were just up there seasonally, and we were leaving, and I, I don't remember if it was 94 or 95. I want to say 95. Uh, we went. We drove down to Anchorage and we're staying one night there before heading out on the sure, Alcan. Yeah. And uh, it was the very first barley wine festival oh, really? that was going on. <laughs> And oh, wow. uh, so, of course, like good beer drinkers, we we went, <laughs> and uh, I still have the little the tasting glass and from ninety four ninety five yeah, yeah from the very first one. I That's remember cool. it was right. You know, there wasn't much going on. <laughs> <laughs> like there was a uh, Ravens Creek up in Fairbanks. There was the yeah, like 94. old number thirty three, like old thirty three or something. Okay. They were down on the peninsula somewhere. Humpy's was the sponsor. Yeah, essentially. Yeah. Um, Alaskan was on, was still making. Alaskan, was, yeah, they yeah, were there. Yeah, yeah, Alaskan was there. Uh, but there was a lot of people that were starting up. Like I remember a guy from, oh god, Glacier, Brewing. oh Glacier Brewhouse. Yeah, yeah, Glacier yeah. Brewhouse was uh-huh. there, and then uh, there was the one that was down by the railroad. Maybe it was called Railroad. Oh, I don't know. It's well before my Alaska time. So yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, anyway. Denali and Talkeetna have 
dear places in my heart. They do and, for me as well. Still. Yeah, yeah, and uh, yeah. But Denali Brewing didn't exist then. <laughs> no, no, no. Um, but you were the head brewer there for how many years? I was the head brewer for the last about three or so years, three or four years. Um, yeah, when I started there, I was no commercial brewing experience. Started there, and they opened up two thousand and. Nine, the very first year that Denali opened up, I was uh, one of the first employees there and basically started out bartending and serving tables and whatnot in their brew pub. And at that point, there was a a guy named Bo, uh, who was the head brewer and who had helped start the company. Um, And there was two other employees, Brian and Simon. And then I was the fourth employee, basically got brought on. And I, at that point I was living seasonally and ski bumming. I was basically- Yeah, I was going to ask what brought you to Talkeetna. Yeah, so- all post-college, I was basically bartending and ski bumming. I had got a degree in psychology, and I had went over to Denmark to study, and I was all gung-ho into researching neuroscience, and I was planning on going to grad school and going to a PhD track into neuroscience and yada yada. And quickly after I graduated, I was like, not yet. Not yet. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, eh, I'm not ready to do this quite yet. I started applying for grad schools and was like, no, 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 this is not, this is not where I want to be. So I was like, let's take some time and let's, uh, you know, just ski and hang out and relax and bartend. So I spent uh, several years, uh, summers in Alaska, winters in Wyoming and uh, Jackson Hole, uh, basically working at two summers in Alaska as before I lived there year round. Um, mm-hmm. And I didn't really want to give up my ski brewing lifestyle. I got offered the full-time brewing job to learn how to brew and mm-hmm. become part of the company. And I was like, I don't know, I kind of like bartending for four hours a night, you know, and skiing during the day and taking home that money. And mm-hmm. uh, my parents thought I was crazy because I'd been homebrewing for, you know, eight, 10 years at that point. I was homebrewing oh, yeah. all through college and post-college making my own beer. And they were like, your brewery's offering you a job and you're not taking it. And like, <laughs> like, I don't know. I'm just debating it. <laughs> right. Yeah. Uh, but long story short, took the job. And then from there, it was just constant education, constant learning, constant growth. And Denali was at a place where it was growing regularly and constantly. I think we yeah. were making about Three to five hundred barrels of beer a year at that point when I joined in two thousand nine, two thousand ten. Yeah, what size was the system then? Because I was uh, shocked when you told me that it was thirty barrels. Yeah, eight and a half barrel was the uh, eight and a half barrel system was what we started on. Okay. Um, a two vessel eight and a half barrel system, uh, which they actually just sold a few weeks ago, uh, which is kind of full circle. But yeah, they just sold that, and after about a year of me working there, they opened up their Spur Road production facility, which is where they brought that thirty barrel system okay. into a uh, thirty barrel system. And then about three or so years, maybe four years into my career with Denali, Bo decided to move on um, and go to kind of greener pastures, smaller pastures, and do some smaller focused stuff. And mm-hmm. So him and his family decided to leave town, and it's kind of fortuitous. The joke is that like I took his house and took his job because he ended up selling me his house, which was an awesome house at a really good price. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I worked my way up uh, to become kind of the head brewer and operations manager there. So when I left, I was the operations manager and kind of overseeing day-to-day production, everything from grain to glass. Mm-hmm. So um, you had brewers that were working underneath you? Exactly. Yeah, I had a brew crew, I had a cellar crew, and a package crew. And then I was kind of the guy pulling the strings and making sure everything was running appropriately, plus covering on the floor on a package line, on a cellar shift, on a brew shift, Yeah. you know, kind of constantly plugging in shifts and constantly covering shifts while trying to kind of make it all drive together. Um, right. Plus a lot of training, you know. Uh, myself sure. included, I came in with no commercial brewing experience, but I don't think there's anyone at Denali who came in with any commercial brewing experience. Okay. Um, even now today. Right. Uh, right. Which is an awesome thing because you get to train them right in the kind of way you want them to be trained, mm-hmm. but it's also a constant education training battle. Right. Right. I mean, it, it takes at least three to six months to really appropriately train someone from no knowledge to 
complete hands-off, you're good, you go brew right. on the overnight shift, yeah. I don't have to worry about you. I'm going to trust you to yeah. do things that could kill us both. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> well, you know the chemicals and the pressures and the temperatures now. Okay, yeah. like, yeah. Yeah. Um, and we worked on a 24-hour production schedule in the summertime, so that was even more sense of, like, I have to be able to trust you, understand what's going on, make sure you've got a head on your shoulders and got some ability mm -hmm. to be self-motivated and self-regulated, you know, regulated too, and keep yeah. yourself safe. Because... Um, yeah. Yeah. So, so you guys were super popular. I mean, were you distributing yeah. obviously in and around Alaska, but were you coming down to the States as well? Cause I don't. Yeah, we, uh, we were all models. in Alaska. We pushed down into the Washington market. I want to say in 2015, 2016, somewhere in there, just we were with Odom, uh, in Alaska and Odom had our distribution rights in Washington, Oregon and mm -hmm. California as well. And so we made kind of a small distribution push to see what we could do in the state of Washington. Um, Long story short, we ended up kind of pulling back a little bit from Washington State. Um, the market's really saturated. There's a lot of brands down here. It's expensive here. to get it down here. It's expensive to get it down here. It takes time to get it down here. By the time we got, you know, our beer out of our cold room to Odom's cold room on a barge, on a ship, down to Seattle, out of their warehouse, onto a shelf in, say, a grocery store. Not necessarily be represented. Yeah, that. it's got maybe a month left on the shelf life. You know, mm -hmm. it's already two months old and now it's got four to six weeks left and consumers have the option of getting a really fresh product right down the road from them, mm -hmm. you know, versus, you know, products coming down from Alaska and the price point on it. Um, so we realized we still have more room to grow in Alaska. So we just focus back on Alaska mm -hmm. and we've still been growing in Alaska. I mean, they yeah. still are growing in Alaska. That's um, great. How big is Talkeetna now? It's 800 year round residents. Okay. Um, in the summertime, that swells quite a bit. Um, with all the tourism and local jobs that go on and tourist mm -hmm. jobs that go on. And those 800 people are spread out over what I would say is probably like a 15 to 20 mile radius. Mm -hmm. It's not like they're all in one little small area. Talkeetna is kind of a sprawl. And right. Long, yeah. long, and long roads. Downtown, and, but, yeah. And then, of course, yeah, it's 25 years ago. Sure. It's right. A little bit bigger, but it doesn't. I mean, sound not like much it's, though. No, yeah, really. it doesn't sound like it's there's much. Really, it's crazy nowhere really bigger. to grow in Telkina. You, know, you got the rivers on both sides and a right. dead end road from the highway. Yeah, so. I got to get yeah. back up there. Now, uh, I was kind of doing my due diligence uh, with you, and I saw the Tap Trail article that was, you know, Lane came in. Like you had been here for hours, <laughs> hours, literally, <yeah. laughs> literally hours. Uh, but you mentioned that you brewed uh, in Wyoming and Washington. Is that? I I did a, I worked at a brewery. I worked at just helping on the packaging line based when I was in Wyoming okay. is what I did. Yeah. So that was my kind of first foray into like commercial brewing. I was went to Snake River Brewing and just like helped out, volunteered on the packaging line. Mm -hmm. um, and then similar thing in here in Spokane, I had gone into like when No Life first got started, I was in college in Spokane, okay. popped in there and helped out on the canning line. Um, my commercial brewing experience really started in Alaska, but like me going into a commercial brewing and being like, hey. Do you guys need help? <laughs> you know, kind of was well, that's where it started, right? It was just me like loving home brewing and being like, how can I maybe segue this a little bit and helping right. out on the packaging line here, coming in there. But yeah. uh, first brewery that employed me was Denali. Um, that's where I got a lot of my experience from. But yeah, commercial. And so experience. you were a head brewer for or chief of operations for three years, but how long were you there total? Uh, total 2009 to 2000 and basically 19. So about 10 years, and I was okay. brewing with them for about eight and a half, nine years. Okay. Um, so I mean, literally. Started out washing kegs and scrubbing floors with three employees. And right, right. As we needed more and more responsibility, all right, learn how to brew. Okay, you know, learn how to can. Okay, and when, when we were growing, you know, there wasn't a canning crew and a cellar crew and a packaging crew. It was one day we'll brew, next day we'll cellar, next day we'll can. with that. Dude. Yeah, um, and as we grew, it was kind of just trying to figure out whose role would be which role and what employees we needed or didn't need and who we needed to train and not train. And that was 
one of the most exciting things and also one of the most like challenging things about working with Denali was kind of not exactly knowing what we needed personnel wise and mm -hmm. constantly changing available jobs and available shifts and when those shifts are going to work and yeah. growing into a 24 hour production schedule and then pulling that down in the winter time and going back to an AM and a PM schedule because we don't have the demand in the winter. Right. Um, so it was always kind of this like influx kind of moving target and kind of sitting down with, you know, management team, ownership staff and being like, what do we need? How can we make this happen? Uh, what's our next step here? Which provided a lot of kind of flexibility and freedom, but also provided a lot of challenges to mm -hmm. um, constantly kind of be re-innovating, you know, who who we need where, where we need where um, to make a production brewery run, because that's what Denali's Visions was and is today as a production brewery. You know, mm -hmm. you have full-time brew, full-time seller, full-time package. Yeah, but you have a tap room, right? Yeah, we have a tasting room and a tap room. Yeah. How much, and... how much beer do you go through? Um, I mean, I'm sure it's, you know, uh, heavily... Yeah, I mean, leans towards the summertime. But. Exactly. So, our, I mean, our the tasting room in Denali in the winter probably doesn't move. I don't, I don't even want to give a number to it, but very much beer mm -hmm. in the summer. It's much more populated. Um, they have a brew pub, which is a separate location downtown, oh. and that's where we started out brewing was at the restaurant and pub location, mm -hmm. eight and a half barrel system, and then created the production facility about eight miles down the road, a thirty barrel brew house and one hundred and twenty and two hundred and forty barrel tanks, and there is just a tasting room. So we got our tasting room there and then our brew pub downtown with the restaurant. So you combine both those two locations, there's a bunch going out the door in the summertime. Right, right. Overall, our production was still about 80, 85, maybe 90% going to our distributor. A uh, very small percentage staying uh, on our in-house. Mm -hmm. um, but they've got some plans to build a whole new tasting room out at the production facility and kind of capitalize on that tourist coming through in the summertime, make a bigger space for them to hang out, a bigger space to drink some beer there. Right. Um, but yeah, the majority of that, of the beer and the majority of the business model is really focused on distribution and on growing as a regional brewery. So random question, mm -hmm. just because I'm, I'm just having all of these talk eating a flash. Oh yeah, for sure. <laughs> <laughs> What's the name of the hotel that's right downtown? Is it the talk eating hotel? Uh, you have the Latitude 62. That's mm -hmm. right off the way there. And then the Fairview Inn. Fairview Inn. Yeah, that's, that's the bar slash hotel. Yeah. That's yeah. like the quintessential bar in yeah. talk yeah. yeah. Been around since 1900s. Yeah. And, yeah. McKinley was there. Right? Yeah, McKinley yeah. was there. They think he got sick or poisoned there. Is that the, was the yeah, rumor that mill. Yeah. Night before, yeah. Because <laughs> he came back and was really <laughs> ill and passed away. Yeah, yep, exactly. Yeah, I remember hearing all that. I actually had a, an offer to bartend there, uh, but I was already working up in the parks. So oh, okay. I yeah. turned it down, but I always kind of wished. That's that. a really iconic bar. That's yeah. A, it's a really iconic Alaskan dive bar, and it's, yeah. I mean, it's great. It's phenomenal. It's got it. a lot of history. It's mm -hmm. got a lot of, yeah, character to it. Uh, right. It's a cool bar. Yeah. yeah. Nice. <laughs> so now you're down here in Washington, mm -hmm. uh, uh, working down at uh, brand new, like months old, yeah. uh, Terramar months. Brewing and Distillery, mm -hmm. uh, or Future Distillery. Future we'll, Distillery, we'll talk on soon. that. Yeah, yeah. yeah, how long has that been open? I want to say the doors opened in about late August for yeah. their first stop opening. It was kind right. of late August. Mm -hmm. I was still making my way down here from Alaska, uh, but definitely been open mostly we opened up full full time about a month ago or so about six weeks ago okay. we we're kind of still in soft opening mode about three or four days a week for mm -hmm. september and october um, oh the masses are just gonna be pounding on your door <laughs> and now we're open every day but tuesday <laughs> so yeah <laughs> the masses are starting to line up yeah yeah uh, they will they will and that place is kind of blowing up down there boa edison area it's been cool to see actually yeah we yeah. just had a big like makers market this last saturday a bunch of vendors coming in to mm -hmm. put their wares on display and for sale about 15 vendors um all in our kind of space we're lucky to have a really big space down yeah. there. a really big 
different areas and rooms to work with. Um, but the place was packed the entire weekend. It was really cool to see people coming through and just nice. eating pizza, drinking beer, and buying gifts and mercantile yeah. stuff. Yeah, that's great. Yeah, food's delicious. Beer's delicious, too. <laughs> um, so the whole idea behind this, for, for anyone who doesn't know, um, it's basically focusing on on local stuff. And mm-hmm. you've seems like you've got a great opportunity to create some pretty unique things, especially since there's going to be a distillery for sure. Um, and, uh, all kinds of things coming down the, the pipeline. And I know you've got grand plans, but, um, just give us a quick rundown of, of what's available now. Okay. And then maybe, cause this will come out in mid January. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and maybe so what you have, soon. what you have planned for, you know, like winter seasonals or, or not. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, one of the uh, things that attract me to Terramar quite a bit, and one of the things that I'm really excited about is the fact that we're sourcing everything as locally as possible. Uh, all of our grants, Gadget Valley malting, you know, all of our hops are going to the Yakima Valley, um, and we're trying to source even adjuncts and fruits and you know spices and herbs. Everything as local as we can. There's mm-hmm. a large agricultural farming community in Skagit Valley. Um, one that I'm still learning and still figuring out what it has to offer. Um, and still kind of getting wrapping my head around the kind of diversity of products that are there. And but that's Terramar's big mantra. And that's why I was really excited about it was to come down and talk to Chris, the owner, and uh, how passionate they are about local food and local sustainability and local materials. Um, and then also coming from a brewery like Denali, where we were really focused on growth and production and distribution. I hadn't, you know, made too many new beers in a long while. And our mantra at Terramar is to kind of never have any flagships, to kind of create new beers all the time let the kind of local ingredients dictate what we should make. Um, kind of give an idea. A farmer showed up two weeks ago with a bag of kiwis from his front yard. Mm-hmm. And I was like, kiwis? Grow in Washington? Okay, cool. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> These taste good. Um, let's use them. Uh, ended up using them into a cider, not a beer, but mm-hmm. because we make cider as well. So you're but making, you are making cider. We are making well. cider on okay. site. Yep, right now. Uh, we have a winery, distillery, and brewing license. We're just waiting on permitting stuff for the distilling side to get that off the ground. Um, so that keeps it interesting, keeps it fun. And um, how, how big is the system, the brewing system? The brew house is a 15 barrel, uh, 15, brew house. Yeah. yeah. So it's a decent size system yeah, for where we're at. Um, yeah. uh, Chris, the owner was joking around with me. He's like, I don't want to brew too often. I'm like, Oh, cool. All right. Like <laughs> I'm used to bring 24 hours around the clock. Yeah. So yeah, uh, that's a little bit nicer. Uh, and yeah, again, again, the other thing that attracted me there was just how well things were done. Uh, Chris is an engineer by trade and he over-engineered everything to a T, um, which was really, really cool to see. Um, but as far as beers that are on tap right now and what's coming up soon, we like to run the gamut. That's something that I'm really passionate about. Um, I don't pigeonhole myself into an IPA guy or to a lager guy or to a Belgian guy. I really like what yeast can do to fermentation. That's one of my big passions right now is mm-hmm. uh, kind of exploring the wide world of mixed culture fermentations and yeast fermentations. Um, but I like a wide variety of beer styles. And yeah, I like going to a tap room that's got a wide variety of beer styles on me it. Me too. Um, so... That's a big, big passion of mine. And so right now we've got, you know, things that are dark and light and hoppy and sour on draft. And we'll kind of continue that that mantra. Um, got a nice new milk stout we just tapped up and released the other day. Super full bodied and nice for the winter time. Just tapped up a, call them Buddy's Brown. It's a Roush beer, uh, smoked brown ale. Right, yeah, it's a really good winter warmer. Sounds we actually exciting. brewed it for the winter time. Um, using local winter luxury pumpkins from Gorget, uh, Gordon Skagit Farms um, and then maple smoked malt from Skagit Valley Malting. They experimentally smoked some of their malt on some maple wood Ooh. and we picked it up from them and kind of mocked a recipe up together that I could like taste the malt and kind of taste some pumpkins and new materials to me, but it was really fun to mock that recipe up and get that out. And that one's been going over really well. Um, yeah, I'm excited. It's, it's, a, 
make it down. Are you guys open next Monday and Tuesday? Yeah, every day or Tuesday. Monday, I mean yeah. Monday. Yep. Monday. We're open every day right now besides uh, Tuesday. Okay. And we open like 11.30 to 9. Yeah, every day. Right. Yeah, um, try to make it down. Well, at some point. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I want to uh, try, the, I try the, the, um, the smoked beer for sure. Yeah, it's, it's one of my favorite styles of beer, actually. And my yeah. wife and I are big Rausch beer fans. We... Mm-hmm. After I finished studying down in Munich and Domans, uh, we were traveling around Europe together, my wife and I, for a little bit and went up to Bamberg and we we're going to stay in Bamberg for a night or two, you know, because we wanted to have Sri Lanka law and drink some smoked beer. And mm-hmm. long story short, our Airbnb upgraded us to this awesome suite downtown, this awesome apartment. We loved the beer. We stayed there for a week. <laughs> <laughs> Just loved Bamberg and loved the smoked beer. Yeah, and, that's my next trip yeah. is to do the Bamberg and Munich. Oh, yeah. It was uh, awesome. Thing. It was killer. Um, yeah. Maybe not this year, but maybe. I'll let you know. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> yeah, so much so that one of our one of our wedding beers was a smoked Martzen. That was one of our favorite styles of beer. Nice. And everyone, like, all the beers were gone after a wedding. The half was gone. The IPA was gone. You know, the Martzen was halfway full, and we're like, sweet. <laughs> we'll take the rest of that home with us. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> um, yeah. Other than that, at Terramar, we're still running. Uh, we got a nice light pale ale that one of the first beers coming out. I have a lager in the tank right now. Nice dry hopped lager that's gonna be coming out. Got an American Pale Ale, got an American IPA, uh, got a nice Belgian Saison on, I got a Belgian Wit on. Uh, what else we got on? I wish I lived in Edison. Amber Ale. Yeah. <laughs> um, porter, new porter's coming out. Our first porter just ran out, so I got a new porter that's in the tank right now. Um, yeah, got a nice kind of what we're calling mid-coast IPA in mm-hmm. the tank right now as well. I'm all late edition, Whirlpool hops, uh, all fruit forward, really tropical heavy notes. And then it's a small addition of uh, Chinook in the first wort to give it a little bit of yeah. a bitter kind of citrusy mm-hmm. background. And so yeah. we're calling it this Mid-Coast IPA where it's got a little bit of the citrus, piney bitterness, but a lot of the heavy-handed, juicy notes on the finish. Right. Um, so that's in the tank right now. And yeah, it's just been fun to... How many taps do you have? Uh, we have 12 beer taps, wow. two cider taps, uh, two mixed cocktail taps, and a couple wine taps. So... Everything for everyone. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, there's yeah. a little bit of everything you can for everyone. Park yourself so. there from eleven to nine. <laughs> yeah, there you go. <laughs> and killer food to boot. So, yeah, yeah, totally. Yeah. Really, really good pizza and uh, and salads. Yeah. Oh, we got a nice uh, Berliner Weiss on too right now. A nice kettle sour Berliner Weiss. Right. Quince tart. That was on. Uh, that's well, yeah. That was on. I think when yeah, you and your wife were down. Yeah, because I tried them all, of course. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Not an idiot. Um, when when the distillery does get up and running, I'm I'm assuming that you will be making the wash. Yes. Uh, for that. Uh, are you going to be involved in that or is somebody else? Yeah. Uh, the whole mantra with Terramar is also being very collaborative as well. Mm-hmm. Um, so Chris is in a really accomplished home brewer, home distiller. He's been distilling and home brewing for 20 something years, longer than I've been alive, probably <laughs> also engineering and building distilleries and brew houses and whatnot. Uh, he brought in his homebrew setup for us to do some trial batches on and this, this oh, yeah, I saw that. incredibly engineered three burner <laughs> pumps, valve systems, and he just engineered it and built it himself. You know, yeah. <laughs> uh tinkerers exactly he's a tinkerer <laughs> and a really really talented tinkerer um so yeah once that gets off the ground it's kind of me mike chris we're all going to be involved in it i mean chris has the like knowledge through the roof about how to distill and but it's all going to be grain based we're all going to be brewing everything in the brew house to ferment in the tank um mm-hmm. and then going right there into a stripping still and into a finishing still so we'll have two stills a stripping still which is yeah, 800 it's gallons. a reflux still that, that i saw yeah there, right? exactly that's the one that's yeah. in there right now is the stripping yeah. still 800 gallon reflux still and then he's got the finishing still he's going to bring in in a little while 150 more of a gallon. based still yeah so exactly nice i know very little about distilling i know some yeah, um but yeah. uh, i know a little bit about it um denali brewing started a spirit program a year or two ago wow. on a small little one barrel kind of homemade still and 
they just upgraded to a 10 barrel still they're bringing in pretty soon here so i've got a little bit of experience designing some washes and making some recipes for that mm-hmm. um but i'm really really excited to like have that experience and that knowledge and kind of build my knowledge it should out be super fun yeah that way and then we're all really hands-on like we collaborate on recipes we collaborate on ideas so i i really see it as being like Mike's brewing here, I'm distilling here, Chris is distilling there, Chris is brewing here, and we kind of just got our like rotating hands on what needs to happen. Mm-hmm. Um, I imagine that uh, Chris will have a lot of kind of input off the get-go. He's got a lot on his plate being the owner as well. Uh, but that's one of our big mantras is kind of cross-training and cross-work. Um, mm-hmm. So I'm excited to start developing yeah, well, some. It sounds like all of work. you guys are competent and able to, you know, like, Oh, I can do that. And you're like, yeah. I'll, I'll, I'll take care of that. I'll, I can do that. That's probably the best thing I'm working about Terramar actually. Yeah. Um, it's just like things Sounds that aren't wonderful. in my wheelhouse. I am not an engineer. Yeah. I am not a process fluid design. I don't know how to weld, you know, I, don't, right. I can build some things, but other than that, like I'm not very talented in that respect. Um, and Chris is just through the roof knowledgeable with mechanical yeah, engineering. Um, and then great. working with Mike Armstrong, who's got 20 something years of brewing experience. Um, so when we have an issue or a problem where the three of us can, talk it out, work it out, come up with a solution, make it happen, whether right. it's fabrication, design, fixing, recipes, creativity. Yeah. Um, so that's been really, really nice is not just kind of like constantly trying to make it all happen, just mm-hmm. relying on some folks for certain things that they're really good at and what I'm really good at and all of our strengths come to the table and make something that's even better, hopefully, than yeah. each individually. Yeah. yeah. And I would imagine that that's pretty much the polar opposite of what you were dealing with at Denali, where you know you were saying that at Terramar, the focus is to not make flagship beers. Um, I would imagine that you were making a lot of the same beers. Oh yeah, yeah, very often, very much so. Yeah, <laughs> especially our like flagship main four beers. You know, our IPA and our blonde ale and our red and our stout. Um, that was the bulk of our production. I mean, sure. even our Twist Creek IPAs. You know, that was the best selling six pack in the state of Alaska. So, any given point in time, about sixty sixty five percent of our volume is that one beer style. Mm-hmm. Um, and we had 820 barrel fermenters. Those are usually all full of Twist Creek IPA. <laughs> Just to keep up with the demand for it. Yeah. Um, and so it's a whole different ballgame. It's a very different ballgame. It, it taught me a lot of things that I'm really grateful for. Consistency, quality control, product development, mm-hmm. um, recipe formulation, maintaining recipe consistency with different lots of malt, different lots of hops coming in. Um, how to tweak and get better, you know, really nuance recipes and massage them. But it also left a lot of my creativity kind of down by the wayside, right. Um, right? Which was a big impetus for me looking for something new in my life was just kind of like I'm getting that creativity back. Better. That's what I realized. I realized like that it wasn't where my passion was was to run a production brewery and it's just a factory at that point. It, exactly. That's what it is becoming, and that's what it is, and that is amazing. Also, yeah. it's an incredible oh. thing to do as a business owner and as a business model, yeah. and has so much accolades. You know, to where they were to where they are is incredible. Mm-hmm. I just realized it wasn't something that sure. I wanted to spend my short time yeah, on this some earth people thrive doing in that in yeah. that environment. Exactly. <laughs> and I definitely have employees that I've worked with that love that like in out. I know what I'm doing for the day. Mm-hmm. Here's my machine. Here's my operation. Yeah. We made the so product. We're, we're going home. Exactly. And I just have a little bit more of a <laughs> yeah. nuanced creative. I can't quite yeah. sit still and kind of want to keep on top of beer trends and kind of push myself as a brewer also. Yeah. I'm um, with you on that. I worked at a large production brewery um, that will remain unnamed, but uh <laughs> But yeah, it was a it was a lesson in everything that I didn't want for right. a brewing job. Yeah. So and it was nice because I was able to grow right on a small scale with an Ollie and kind of see what it was and then start to take those steps 
larger and larger and larger and larger and more and more production to a point where I was like, oh, I see what this is. And I got a really good handle on what it takes to get from here to get to this level of production. Right. And I realized that's not where I want to spend my time. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, it's but doing you that still again. bring yeah. all those skills and all that knowledge oh, I to a smaller so thing. I'm so grateful for what I learned and developed and knew there. Like, Absolutely. So grateful. Would never have had those experiences and those abilities to kind of learn beer on a big picture scale yeah. uh, without kind of those opportunities there. Yeah. And you've, you've done some like legit beer education. We were talking earlier, yeah. you uh, did like Siebel yep. online stuff and then you studied in Germany. Exactly. Well. Yeah. Also through Siebel. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I did the Siebel online courses to get kind of my like, you know, raw materials and then brewing and fermentation and packaging kind of basic coursework done. Mm -hmm. um, and then I spent uh, about six weeks over at the Domans Academy in Munich doing my final capstone course over there and working in the brewery and going to lectures. And uh, that was an incredible experience. If, if nothing else is to see how the Germans treat the brewing profession. Um, mm -hmm. It's a very esteemed, very yeah. um, kind of historical, very passionate and very like educated profession. A very um, rich lore. A very rich lore. Yes. I mean, there's, <laughs> I, I always make kind of a, a joke that all the German brewers would just give the American craft brewers a bunch of shit while we were there <laughs> because they're like, you guys go to school for two months. Like, you know how to brew like, yeah, good luck, you know, um, <laughs> but there's also a lot of freedoms that American craft brewers have that Germans don't have. Right. And so there was a lot of younger German students be like, man, I wish we could do X, Y, and Z and A, B, and C. Yeah, the how do you brew an Imperial AP, IPA and how do you brew this? And you know, yeah. like, They've got their beer styles down pat, but they're also really excited about new creative stuff. Sure. Um, but I was really, that was really, really formative for me was to go there and really get a really hard science background and microbiological background mm -hmm. um, in brewing and also kind of see that rich tradition history. Um, yeah, sometimes a lot of, you know, the, the old like American craft brewing home brewer to commercial brewer, right? Which is an amazing story, mm -hmm. but also gets a lot of commercial brewers that may not. I mean, we shouldn't be commercial brewers, yeah. right? Yeah, <laughs> Maybe there's still kept a lot of mediocre beer. <laughs> exactly. And so still I think a lot, a lot of Germans see that and they're like, well, that's why. You know, you're right. not treating your profession as though it's something to be esteemed. It's just right. like, oh, you can do it at home. You can do it's, it for real. It's yeah. slowly happening. I think uh, so. Yeah, I think so too. It's slowly happening. It's yeah, my parents happening. thought I was nuts when I got into brewing. <laughs> <laughs> I think my parents what, were just ready doing? for me to not be a ski bum. So they were like... <laughs> Cool. You're not going to go to grad school. All right. Maybe you should work at a brewery then. Otherwise, right. you're just going to keep ski bumming for a while. Yeah. Yeah. I was on the road most of my 20s and back and forth. Texas, Alaska, Washington. Yeah. Ended up here. <laughs> there uh, it goes. Yeah. Uh, I wanted to uh, I wanted to go back and touch uh, on the. The stress on on local ingredients mm. at Terramar. I mean, granted, it's a limited time right now, yeah. but do you foresee any challenges that you might have seasonally i think for sure i think there's definitely going to be challenges i think there's going to be you'll make maybe ideas or recipe formulations that'll come together mm -hmm. and then something will not come to fruition right maybe a crop didn't come out the right way yeah. it should have maybe it's, it doesn't taste very good maybe the farmer's like no i can't offer you that anymore mm -hmm. um but i think the one of the terramar strengths is that not having those flagships mean we can pivot right quickly yeah yeah exactly we can quickly yeah. whereas like there's in no denali if i'm like oh if i'm yeah. out of X hop and I can't source it from somewhere like this beer character is going to change. Right. And we need to make a way to not change the beer character. Yeah. Um, so I think there are going to be challenges in that realm, but I think we'll also be able to quickly pivot and go, okay, what can we do with what we have? Mm -hmm. um, yeah, it's and, a beautiful know, I, place to be. Yeah. And I think also it's, it's also hard to make hard line rules, right? I can't say what's going to happen in six months, nine mm -hmm. months, a year. Maybe we've got 
a rotating Saison or a rotating IPA or a rotating pale that, you know, stays fairly constant in its recipe. But we tweak it with a local ingredient here, a local ingredient there. Mm-hmm. Um, I can see us staying in some certain style parameters, right? Like I was saying, I kind of like having the wide varieties of beers styles available, but I can see us being experimental, but within styles still. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, it's one thing about brewing commercially that a lot of home brewers that want to get into it kind of forget is it's not about you. It's about what your customers yeah. want. You know, they're going to dictate right. what you do. And I mean, I think in your case, you're you're in a good position because the ethos is so established into the right. whole thing that they're going to expect that. Yeah. Um, but you know, it's like opening a bar. Like you have no idea who's for sure going to yeah. come in. You know? And you've got to respond to that consumer demand, yeah. right? You've yeah. got to be aware of it and attuned to it. If you're just turning a blind eye and like, well, you'll drink what I like, like, right? Not, not going to work so <laughs> yeah. much. You know, no, you need a homebrew. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, I'm excited for that. That'll be great. I mean, again, kind of remains to be seen how things will progress and develop. Mm-hmm. But I'm excited for the ability to be creative while still um, kind of you know remaining in some sort of style guidelines and remaining in some sort mm-hmm. of styles of beer uh, yeah. so everyone well, has something they can drink when they come in the door that's the idea someone can find something for them and yeah i'm excited to have another excuse to go down to edison more often <laughs> <laughs> um so we uh we touched on this a little earlier you're very new to bellingham a couple months yep um you live here in, in Sunnyland. yeah right? i live just a few blocks other side of the freeway basically from you so since since you're so new to bellingham mm-hmm. Uh, and you've been very busy. You have to drive to Edison every day, which is about a, what thirty minute drive. It's, yeah, it's like exactly that. like twenty five to thirty minutes. Yeah. it's not bad at all. I kind of like the drive. Yeah. yeah, I'm just wondering if you've had an opportunity. You mentioned that you hadn't been out to uh, to North Fork yet. Oh, I just went out there actually. Oh, you did? Yeah. Okay. Oh, nice. Yeah. Perfect. Um, have you have you made the rounds? Have I've you... been trying to. Yeah. yeah. My wife and I. Uh, one of the big reasons we wanted to move down to this area into Bellingham was kind of for the diversity in food, culture, beer, arts, music, all of that. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, we love Alaska a bunch. We still own homes up there. We love it up there. But there's not a lot of that diversity of culture up right. there or diversity of yeah. beers, foods. And we're both, you know, we're in our 30s. Like, let's, make, let's do something different. We have nothing right. to lose, you know. Yeah. Like, um, so we actually, most weekends, we try to choose a new spot to go out to eat, you know, a new place to go to mm-hmm. have some beers. But definitely made some rounds. Really, really enjoying the beer scene and the food scene in Bellingham. It's, I was telling some of my old coworkers at Denali, like, Averagely, take it on average, the average beer that I get here is definitely a few points higher than the average beer I get in Alaska. And the joke with Alaska is they're about five to ten years behind everything, mm-hmm. whether that's everything. music, food, arts, culture. They're just a few years behind, right? Which is also a beautiful thing, right? I mean, yeah. like kind of stuck in a time. And Absolutely. It's really it's... great to get away from kind of modern society. But really, really impressed with the culinary scene, with the beer scene around here. Um, I think it's something I was talking about was going into breweries and seeing a wide variety of beers available on mm-hmm. draft. and. I mean, there's certain breweries who do that more so than others, but the ones that I go back to are usually the ones that have that wide variety of a tap list. I mean, a place like North Fork, a place like Wander, mm-hmm. um, where you go in there and you're going to be able to drink, you know, yeah. a light sessionable beer, maybe a lager. You're going to be able to drink a sour beer, you know, to drink a nice dark malty beer, an IPA. Mm-hmm. Um, or something that was aged for two or years. Or something that was aged forever in a barrel or some one-off yeah. weird thing. Or Yeah, it's um, great. I find that breweries that are in Bellingham proper – kind of each have to find their own their niche. little niche and find it's their own way. Too, and everybody's yeah. been very successful in doing that uh, so far. Right. Uh, you know, so I, I feel that you're in a good position because you're in Edison, which in is Edison, already kind yeah. of a destination place yeah. for foodies and, uh, and for stuff like that. Um, yeah, I'm excited. Yeah, I don't really feel the competition, you know, down in Edison. That right. was something that right. was like kind of nice also going mm-hmm. down there and kind of wanting to live in Bellingham, be part of the city lifestyle, be part of the culture and the arts up here. But... I'm from small town Talkino where I've been. I really enjoy small towns and small communities. Mm-hmm. And 
that's the only brewery and pizzeria in Edison. Like you're saying, it's a destination point. A lot of foodies are coming up there. A lot of people are coming to visit it. Um, and so it makes it a little easier for mm-hmm. us to not have to specialize, right, in right. something and make a name for ourselves. Yeah. You know, think about like Cloudburst and IPAs or think mm-hmm. a name for, your, you know, Holy Mountain Saisons or something, you know, where we can kind of run the gamut and have that ability to run the gamut because we're going to get a wide variety of folks in there. Um, mm-hmm. I think down the line, there'll probably be some things we really specialize in. We're all really big fans of blended barrel-aged beers and uh, sour beers, so we're pretty excited to start that program coming up in the next you know, six to nine months or so to start getting a whole sour program going. But that is something I think we have to our advantage, mm-hmm. um, is that we don't have to be as competitive with the brew pub you right next to, to us. directly <laughs> answer to the boundaries, the wanders. The, exactly, yeah. Yeah, yeah. The structure is the, yeah, we yeah. don't have to have a rebuttal. We can be like, hey, we're going to make right. a killer saison and a killer APA. And yeah. Killer sour beer and a good dark multi lager. Yeah. Have you been into Aslan yet? I have, yeah, several yeah. times. Did My you... wife and I hang out at the depot actually. Oh, a yeah. fair amount. Like that spot a lot. Oh, yeah, <laughs> yeah. So great. Yeah. Uh, the reason I ask is because Frank Trossett, uh, the head brewer, one of the owners, he's huge into, into Ralph Beers and oh, Bomberg. Yeah. Uh, and uh, we've been talking smack about when I do end up finally going over there, hopefully in a couple of years, he'll come. Oh, nice. He's like, oh, you got to go. You got to go here. You got to go here. And when we went to Cologne, he was like, okay, you need to go drink this Kolsch. Uh-huh. And then this one. And then this one. And then this one. And then go back and drink more and That of one this. again, yeah. And, go, and then and then go nice. back and drink that. And it's Popkin, if anybody's oh, yeah. And he was right. I mean, I, I'm i in love with Kolsch. Oh, yeah. And uh, so I was really excited to do the rounds in Cologne. Oh, yeah. And, uh, and we did. That was where I was supposed to go after Bamberg was go to Cologne, but we got stuck in Bamberg. Yeah. So, <laughs> yeah. Didn't make it to Cologne, but yeah. yeah. Well, it's, it's, it's a waste. Yeah. So, and I think you did fine. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Um, you want to take a little break? Yeah, sure. Let's take five. Yeah. I could use a yeah. Yeah. restroom break real quick. Yeah, me too. Well, this is definitely the, the the portion of it where we where we hang out and drink beer because this is where we just talk about beer. Oh, sweet! Basically, right on. Um, so, do you remember the first beer that you ever had? The first beer I ever drank, I do actually. Uh, it was yeah. a Coors Light. Most people do. <laughs> yeah. yeah, it was a Coors Light. Because mm-hmm. um, you grew up, you said in, in SoCal. I grew up in SoCal. Um, yeah. I never touched alcohol or any illicit substance till I was in college. Oh, it's evil. It's evil. It's uh, it was bad. I, yeah. I grew up in a situation that was quasi-religious and quasi, mm-hmm. you know, progressive, progressive Protestant Christian. It wasn't really like conservative upbringing at all, but a pretty mm-hmm. progressive Christian upbringing. Um, yeah. I would, and I could, I, I would say that I could relate to that. A yeah. Bit. Yeah. My, my mom had <laughs> grew up in a household that was, you know, awful, right? Let's be straight up alcoholic father and uh, terrible situation with alcohol. And so it was a very big like taboo in our family right? growing okay. up. Okay. Interesting. It was not like a even like holidays and things. I'd never my dad never had beer in the fridge. There was wow. never wine on the counter. Um and yeah, never really never thoroughly thought twice about it. But yeah, my I was on spring break, my freshman year of college. I remember it distinctly. Mm-hmm. Uh, this was also the first time I got drunk. <laughs> the first time I drank a beer. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I mean, I think there's positive and negative to me, like not having a high school experience, you know, mm-hmm. that was partying, but also kind of a late bloomer in college. And I kind of just then didn't know when to stop also, you know, like, right. Um, like, let's go for it. Um, a spring break, a freshman year <laughs> no of college. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Coors Light, sure. And I think I drank Coors Light and Amaretto. And that's what I drank wow. that night. Yeah. So I didn't uh... know what I was drinking, right? Just knew it had alcohol in it. And <laughs> yep. yeah. And it was playing up and getting catchphrase with yep. yeah, an ex-girlfriend and uh, yeah, one of my roommates in college and drank Coors Light and drank Amaretto. And yeah, that was, it was a fun night. <laughs> 
<laughs> What's not woke to up like? like what happened? I don't know what that feels like. Yeah. I don't feel so yeah. good now, but like yeah. <laughs> yeah. Why am I yeah. why am I so thirsty? And now then I quickly understand. quickly discovered beer right after that. So it was a, oh. like a really quick like again, I had my first beer and then within you know, a few weeks, a month, I was like, all right, what else is out there? Yeah, there's got to be yeah. something. <laughs> yeah. yeah, there's got to be something. So was there, so once you started getting into that, like, what was that progression? And mm -hmm. and when did you, oh, we were talking earlier, like, what was the beer that flipped the switch? Like, right. what was the progression from the, that Coors Light yeah. to where you were like, hmm, yeah. so, I, I, I mean, wonder if I could do this. I would say in the beginning, like, a lot of it was shitty light beer because I was mm -hmm. in college and sure. it was price point was cheap, you know? Um, but I, I have a distinct, distinct memory of going to the beer store um, or gas station and, you know, I wasn't quite 21 yet. So someone else was buying the beverages. Scandalous. You know? Yeah. yeah, and, uh, yeah. Um, and they actually, one of them, he brought a six pack of uh, Mirror Pond Pale mm -hmm. and from Deschutes. And that yeah. was, you know, one of the first Northwest breweries. And this was 2000 and Ooh, four or five somewhere and in there. And you were in Spokane. Um, I was in Spokane, okay. Washington at that point. Yeah. Um, and he bought us, you know, whatever rack we wanted of Keystone Light or whatever, you know, and then it's like, hey, guys, try this, you know, mm -hmm. um, you Bottle young kids. Yeah, exactly. Uh, and I remember just being blown away with just how much flavor was in there, right? Because I've been mm. drinking just crappy lagers. And, but that Mirror Pond, definitely like, whoa, what is this? Mm -hmm. And then very quickly after that, Sierra Nevada Pale became a staple beer oh, in our college yeah. household. Just like, I mean, it was like when we have, let's buy a six pack of Sierra Nevada and then we'll buy 24 of something cheap, you know? Mm -hmm. um, and very quickly, I grew to love that beer, grew to love Mirror Pond, then quickly discovered Inversion in the world of IPAs. And then by my sophomore, junior year of college and I was living off campus, I just started homebrewing because I was like, oh. Yeah. This is the early 2000s? This right? is 2000 and I think my, I graduated college, let's see, in 07. So this was, yeah, 04, 05, mm -hmm. 06, somewhere yeah. in there. And then, yeah, I basically went down to the homebrew store in Spokane and bought my little homebrew kit, um, plastic buckets, you know, mm -hmm. I started out with and yeah. um, bought my little, I think it was even a Sierra Nevada Pale Ale clone recipe where everything's here for you. Here's your malt extract and here's your weighed out, you know, <laughs> cascade hops and here's your malt and go yeah. for it follow these instructions it's um, so funny that that is the litmus test right for brewers like any brewer worth anything mm -hmm. i mean especially if you're a professional brewer it's just a given that you right. are able to make that beer in your sleep right but it's incredibly challenging <laughs> no, because it's, it's so yeah. simple like it's i would so simple, i would yeah. say nailing a sierra nevada pale ale is just as difficult as nailing like a good pilsner or something oh, like that. Oh, I would like, agree with there's that. There's nowhere sure. to hide. No, you've got nowhere to go, right? Nowhere yeah. to hide. Yeah. Too much yeah. caramel too little caramel you're screwed. You know, yeah. too much cascade hop, too little, you're yeah. screwed. Yeah. It's, yeah. it's it's balanced and it's subtle and it's, it's there and it's perfect, beautiful. right? Yeah, it's yeah. a great beer. It's beautiful. Um, I have and, some in my fridge right now. Yeah. <laughs> I still buy that beer, right? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah, for sure. And then, yeah, then, then from there, I started looking at, you know, craft breweries that were in Spokane. Like, what other breweries are around here? And that was when Nolai was kind of getting going. And so definitely started drinking Nolai beer and, you know, we if it was a special occasion, right, we'd get a keg of a Nolai, you know, beer, oh, instead nice. of a keg of PBR, mm -hmm. a keg of Rainier, um, yeah. or pool our money together. I remember we we used to save all of our recycled cans, all of our PBR cans, all of our beer cans, we put them all in the garage, and we'd stockpile, 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 and then, you know, three, four months later, we'd go to the scrap metal yard where they pay for your scrap <laughs> aluminum right. instead yeah. of just recycling mm -hmm. it and get, you know, maybe 7500 bucks for all of our cans nice. and then promptly go buy more beer. Absolutely. <laughs> go get a keg and that would be like our yearly like, oh, we can afford a keg of no liar, afford a keg of... 
Sierra Nevada. Like, this is awesome. Yeah, it's a perfect circle. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Yeah. yeah. So then it was just like any IPA or pale I get my hands on, I started trying. And mm-hmm. like most people in the craft brewing world, IPAs were just like, oh, I love IPAs. I want to go all for the pales and all for the IPAs all the time. Yeah. Um, yeah. And then started brewing. And that was really, really cool. And then at that point in time, all my roommates and I were like, well, you can brew the good beer. And we'll just buy the shitty beer. So we have that cheap and you can brew the nice hoppy stuff. Yeah. Except my stuff wasn't very good. Right, right. <laughs> and Were you doing just it? like partial mash extract? Yeah, at that first. point I was doing partial mar- uh, malt extract using plastic. And mm-hmm. then about a year and a half, two years in, my like senior year of college, got the whole glass carboy set up, got a little uh, corny keg to keg in. You know, oh, nice. Like, that's so started that's doing always the turning point where you're like, yeah. I'm in this to win it. For mm-hmm. sure. Instead of like, yeah. especially with a bunch of college students, they're not the best at being clean in general, much less sanitizing <laughs> bottles for packaging. And I remember like one right. time going to the bathtub, like, oh, sanitize in the bathtub. Like, I've done that. Oh, geez. I can't even like take a shower in here. Like, yeah, oh, yeah. I'm going to sanitize bottles in here. I've, I've, I've <laughs> and then, yeah, changed the game a bit and then took that kind of brewing with me, even when I was kind of doing my ski bum thing through mm-hmm. Wyoming and Alaska. I'd bring my glass carboys with me and bring my setup with me. And I did the same <laughs> thing. Like, I was always in something that was somewhat self contained because mm-hmm. I, wherever I went, I had my brewing equipment yeah. with me. I mean, even if it was just a bucket. You yeah, you can make stuff. it happen. Yeah, but yeah, I remember in Denali Park, I was friends with the guy that ran the the employee kitchen, mm-hmm. and uh, it was about probably half a mile from my cabin, and uh, he would let me go in there and brew the beer in the kitchen, which was very very handy because oh, yeah. I didn't have running water. Or yeah, anything. especially a drain <laughs> or a sink yeah. or anything. <laughs> nothing. Yeah. And I mean, even at that point, I was. I barely knew what I was doing. And, uh, but you know, carry the bucket, you know, like across just, it got very well aerated. But, oh yeah. You know, I can <laughs> look back on that and be like, well, that was probably good. Was Cause perfect. I probably wasn't doing it enough, <clears throat> but yeah, just carrying it and just like switching hands and being like, oh, five, five gallons of beer is heavy. It's heavy. Yeah. That's a lot. <laughs> it's really heavy to yeah. carry for a half a mile, <laughs> but I did it cause beer. Cause beer. Exactly. Cause it's beer. important. Yeah. Um, what's, what's your favorite beer to, uh, what's your favorite beer to drink? Whew, that is a tough question. I know. It's an impossible yeah, question. Yeah, I mean, I would All I would of these say, questions are unfair. Yeah, it's, I mean, I'm, I'm the kind of person who has a really hard time choosing a favorite of anything. Me too. A favorite band, a favorite musician, a favorite mm-hmm. food, favorite, I mean, just have a hard time choosing. Um, I probably would say that the beer I've drank a lot of and with regularity over the last three to well, last four or five years um, is Tank Seven from Boulevard. Uh, that stays on there. I mean, it's a farmhouse style ale, mm-hmm. um, but it's just it's a style of beer that I love, and that one is super crisp and really delicious. It's malty yet dry. It's you know estery yet you know yeah. it's just really really well done. Um, and when I discovered that I drank a lot of that beer, um, <laughs> but I, I still drink a fair amount of that beer. But I, other than that, I mean. Um, I really, really enjoyed mixed culture ferment saisons. I mean, like I really enjoyed a lot of stuff that Holy Mountain's putting out. Yeah, I really um, enjoy um, even a lot of Steph, the... who's not she, she likes the sour beers, sure. and stuff like that. Yeah. But when we go to Seattle, she's like, we have to go to Holy Mountain. Yeah, damn straight. They have an do. awesome like Roush Hellas. It's delicious. They <laughs> yeah. have a killer saison barrel program. You know, I just so things like that that I, I I run the gamut of beer styles, and there's certain things I really like at certain points in time. Um, but if I look to a beer, I'm going to crush a lot of, it's usually a really good clean Pilsner or a really nice kind of sour saison. Mm-hmm. Um, and that tank seven, I can come back to another one. Like Le Fin de Monde is another beer I can come back to all the time that I discovered when I was like 21, 22, mm-hmm. just after learning what beer was. And I was like, Whoa, Belgian beer. Yeah. Holy shit. And this is yeah. not hops. Yeah, it's a beer Disney <laughs> Yeah, exactly. Oh yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, that's, it's, 
it's hard to kind of choose a favorite, but those mm-hmm. are definitely when I when I go to a brewery, I'm like, let me try your if you got a pilsner, let me try your pilsner. Let me try your pale. All right, then let's yeah. go from there. You know, let's see what else you got. Um, yeah. It's funny. Yeah, you have litmus test beers, you know, for when you go into a brewery. And I think every brewer is different. You know, it used to be that you went in and we're like, okay, let me try your IPA. Right. But that was when IPAs were more of a balanced mm-hmm. kind of thing for me. Um, and I I stopped drinking IPA altogether for about 10 years. I'm, I'm back on it now, but oh, okay. still not like a really juicy yeah. IPA guy. And I'm not a hazy. I am not a um, hazy dude. <laughs> I, I like to taste the malt yeah. in beer. Um, but everybody knows that already, <laughs> but, uh, but now it's like, if there's a lager or a Pilsner, I'm like, let me try that. Cause if you can do that well, yeah, you can do everything. That's my litmus well. test usually is yeah. a lager or a Pilsner yeah. style of beer. I'm exactly. like, not an easy, you can't hide anything again. You can't there's no where to hide any flaw <clears throat> whatsoever. Yeah. yeah. Are you just uh, doing this as a gimmick or do you really know what you're doing? Exactly. You know. And then I'll try your experimental, uniquely exactly. hopped, whatever. And I'll get the paddle. <laughs> Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> then I'll get the battle. Um, I probably did that when I went down to uh, to Terramar oh, okay, you know, before yeah. before you came out and uh, and said hi. It's probably like, mm, let me try the saison. Let's start there. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Yeah. I'll take. I'll take okay. anything. <laughs> All right. And you I, do that. Yeah. <laughs> and I know Eric. Eric and I worked together years oh, right. yeah. and years ago at uh, at the North Side. Um, yeah. Oh, long, okay. long time. Long ago. time ago. <laughs> What's your, uh, and again, another unfair question, what's your favorite beer to brew? Man, um, someone with multi-step mashing, I really enjoy that. Um, I I brewed a hef for a while at the Nolly that had about four steps in it and really going for the clove phenolic notes and that mm-hmm. like 113, 114 realm. Yeah. Um, I really enjoy hitting mash temperatures. I also... Huh. I love the fact that brewers are such a dork. It's such a nerdy such, thing, right? Like so it's like process. I always like, oh, just single infuse it, man, and go. And I'm like, no, 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 no. I mean, even now I mash off all the beers. At least if it's single infusion still, I can still mash it off yeah. and get a little bit more of a breath of malt profile. You know, yeah. Yeah. for me, I might notice it. No one else is going to fucking notice, you know. But, right. yeah, but I, well, that's why I felt the need to tell you about that Pilsner that we were right, drinking earlier. Yeah, yeah. It's like, just single I did infusion. a single infusion yeah. match. Yeah. I'm just going to be straight up with that. And I know that it was a compromise, right. but I want you to know that I know that. <laughs> I think my, it was a time sensitive exactly thing. and that's fine hell yeah go for it uh, I love also just creating new ways to produce on a brewing system just new techniques like you yeah. know throwing some dark malt on top of the grain bed during a sparge cool let's darken it up let's get no astringency from it you know uh, or just using you know your uh, kettle say as a vessel to cool down your wort before you're actually knocking out you know people doing these like you know 180 190 hop additions or also kettle souring i love kettle souring not because the profile because it's fun yeah. like i like the profile on a mixed it's culture sour easy way have, more yeah if you can I, do it yeah it's it's singular kind of in a sour profile usually you know it's not really like that breadth of kind of flavor you're going to get out of those acids but it's really fun to be mm-hmm. able to like all right take this process and do a first fermentation and in a quick. vessel and quick and then heat that up yeah. sterilize it oh not if we're a cross contamination, you know, like yeah, yeah, and, just, and I don't have to you know use different plastic, you know, d- right. different hoses or something <laughs> yeah, that separate my process from equipment to this dedicated equipment. to yeah. bugs, yeah. And I think that's I love having the bugs in the mixed culture, which sure. we're going to get going in Terramar pretty soon here down the line. Nice. Um, but just playing with what you've got is really exciting for me. It's mm-hmm. like all right, I've got this equipment. What can I do to kind of push the envelope here? I don't have a hot back, but how could I, you know, improvise a hot back? How could I improvise a way to, you know get some darker color out of our grain during collection or can I hop a grant or just different ways of, you know, mm-hmm. utilizing the equipment you got in unique ways. Um, 
So I generally say complex beers are more fun for me to brew, but that's sure. Longer day at work, but it's more fun to get my mash temperatures right. and get my hopping ratios right. And well, you get that dork satisfaction. Yeah, exactly. Especially mm-hmm. when you spend so long working on a recipe and then yeah. you see it come to fruition. You know, because once it's in the tank and fermenting, you're like, all right, now I just make sure you're good and like monitor temperatures and pressures and you know, but I can't really do too much to alter the flavor profile. You know, right. once I've temperature ranges, yeah, we can mess around with, but mm-hmm. I've set up myself for what I've got and yeah, the whole I, process is super fun. I love that too. I, I over-explain my beers to even people that don't give a shit. Right. You know, like yeah. I'll, I'll, I'll explain, you know, Steph will take like a sip of mm-hmm. an average beer that I make and be like, hey, that's good. And I'll just like, well, I love it. I love that, you know. Why it's good. Yeah. <laughs> and my wife always like, can you just shut up and drink the beer? Yeah. Like, no, no, I can't. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. But, uh, but it's so rewarding when you do something and you know exactly how that happened and you're talking to another brewer who understands like, that as well. And you're like, yeah. so I did this and this and this, and that's why it's this and this. And they're like, yeah. oh yeah, I get that. Yeah. Like, oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I used to do a continuous mash saison back at Denali where I'd mash in at 98 and then just go from 98 to 170 in like two and a half hours. Oh. Just constantly. And I loved making that beer. You know, yeah. just loved it. Super labor intensive, you know, like super time intensive. Mm-hmm. But I also love explaining that beer when it comes to, oh, wow, this is really like, it's really dry, really full body, a lot of malt profile going on. I'm like, oh, we did a continuous mash. Let me tell you all about it. You know? <laughs> and they don't give a shit, right? <laughs> yeah. I <laughs> uh, wish I could have been into talking. It would have been so amazing for so many reasons. That would have been at yeah. this point. <laughs> That's crazy. Um, so you, you were saying earlier, um, Denali Brewing. They do not distribute to Washington anymore. Is that correct? Uh, they do not in a large scale. Occasionally a keg gets kicked down here. All of our okay. beer that goes to Southeast Alaska, Denali's beer that goes to Southeast Alaska, has to go through Seattle anyway. Mm-hmm. So it goes from Anchorage to Seattle and then back up to Southeast Alaska. Okay. So Odom occasionally will pull off some kegs and some cans, but it's not, and it's in a very, very small way. Now, usually mm-hmm. it's like some a bottle shop or a you know, shop like Elizabeth Station or Beer say, Junction down in Seattle being like, hey, can we get, you know, some of this or some of that. Yeah. Um, but very few and far between. Yeah. yeah. We were more worth. focused on the Spokane market actually for a while. Kind of the huh. central Washington Spokane market was a little easier for us to right. kind of break into than the Seattle market. Right. Um, but basically pulled all that kind of back and pulled yeah. out and just focusing on Alaska. So I might, I might reach out to Patrick and be like, you should get a case or a, a keg of Denali, <laughs> put it on. Because it'd be fun for me to taste it again. Actually, I haven't had it in a while. I know. Yeah. I would again, love to yeah. go with you and yeah. just be like, Okay, let's, yeah. <laughs> let's try it. Like, don't worry, I won't blow your cover. <laughs> yeah, okay, don't worry. That's actually bringing that up. It's really fun for me being down here is no one knows who I am. Right. And everyone, you know, in Alaska, it's a pretty small brewing community, mm-hmm. pretty small state. It's, it's the biggest, smallest state, right? Mm-hmm. You can see people from all over you know, and so you're known. And coming down here, right. I can pop into a bottle shop, a brewery, a tasting room, yeah. and no one knows me. Yeah. And I love that so much, <laughs> being incognito and just like, yeah. no one knows I work with Terramar, no one knows who I am, no one knows that I'm, yeah, it's, yeah. it's right. great. Um, what's your guilty pleasure drink wise? Ooh, beer wise or drink wise? Just drink wise. <laughs> drink wise. Oh man. Um, guilty pleasure. Is it, I don't know. I drink a lot of hot toddies in the winter. Is that a guilty pleasure? That doesn't seem very guilty to me, yeah, but <laughs> it doesn't have to be guilty. <laughs> uh, that's I mean. definitely a, a drink that I drink a lot of in the winter time. Mm-hmm. Um, mm, you a bourbon fan? I love bourbon. Me yeah. too. I, and I, I we love should be bourbon. Friends. Yeah, we should hang out some more. <laughs> That's, yeah, what I'm pretty excited about Terry Mars start distributing is Chris is really focused on single malt whiskeys, you know, and eventually bourbons down the line. Yeah, but I'll yeah. be there. Yeah, so... That's my other big passion, right, is whiskeys and bourbons um, yeah. and big fan. And that's, yeah. So other than that, though, let's see what's my guilty pleasure. 
Let me think. I love mimosas. Is that is that that's? I mean, that's. I mean, it it, it doesn't matter. There's no right or wrong. Trying to get answer. guilty. Though. Yeah, what makes it me incriminate me a little bit? Like embarrassing. Um, well, my like guilty pleasure albums always Alanis Morissette. I love Alanis Morissette, especially Jagged Little Pill. That album, just like nice. for some reason, I love. But I don't tell people that. Right? <laughs> <laughs> you would not expect that knowing me, knowing my music taste and my preference. Right. But it's just an album that, like, for some reason, I'm like, that's good. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. With that album. Yeah, for me, it's. Uh, it, but I don't even see it as a guilty pleasure because everybody that knows me knows it because I wear it pretty proudly. But I'm a huge Rush fan. Oh, right so. on. Nice. Yeah. <laughs> Rush is incredible. Huge, huge. Yeah, yeah. Saw him every tour except oh, the really? one well. from Signals On. Oh, wow. You were a massive rest man. All right. Yeah. Huge. Okay. Yeah. Huge, well, they're a great band, huge. so that's cool. I love them. See, we should be friends. <laughs> yeah. Um, so uh, another question, and this question uh, is one that uh, I didn't used to ask, and, and Robert from the Homebrew Shop uh, was like, yeah, you should start asking that. So I, I did. Um, what uh, What's your favorite food pairing with a beer that you make right now? And you're Ooh. in a very unique position yeah. to be able to answer that, considering- right. You're at Terramar where and everything's amazing. Yeah. And it's very unique and very and new very all the unique. time. Yeah. yeah. Do you have a favorite? I mean, you know, granted you're only a few months into it. Yeah, but. right. Um, let's see here. Uh, we have, I mean, I, I feel like our Saison pairs fairly well with a lot of stuff we have going on just because we have some like heavier, cheesy, you know, like we do a our fuzzy piggy pizza has got like Vosh on it. It's got some goat cheese on it. It's got um, some prosciutto. Yep, it's got either pear or <clears throat> peach, depending on the time mm -hmm. of the year. But it's those kind of like bolder flavors, I feel like that saison really cuts through really nicely and kind of cuts that fatty, you know, uh, kind of flavor pro profile down a little bit. Um, and kind of goes well with what we have going on in our kitchen. Um, mm -hmm. Other than that, let me think a little bit. Um, on, a, on a tangent, yeah. I, I kind of feel that you know it used to be as far as pairing food with beer that that kind of hefeweizen was the it goes with everything sure it yeah. can't, you can't go wrong yeah um i kind of feel that some saisons or saison has kind of taken over yeah, that mantle usually where my head kind of goes to is like okay yeah. i know that with some meats and some cheeses a saison yeah. can pair fairly well yeah you know? using the belgian yeast is it's it's got a little more unique flavor profile, mm -hmm. but you know, for just ease, I I use the French. Yeah, um, it's not quite as deep, but right. But that also makes it more parable. Parable, exactly. With, with, a little bit drier, a little bit lighter else. on the on the tart yeah. on the profile. Do you use sure. the? Do you use that the was a Belgian strain that we used? Yeah, use that one. Um, How do you keep the temperature up so high? Um, I I knocked that guy out at 60, 72, 73 and let it free rise. Okay. Um, I usually try to cap it. Depend on that strain, I usually try to cap about eighty eight or so. I mm -hmm. usually don't want to go above ninety. Mm -hmm. um, but that's that. I've used the Dupont strain a lot and the Belgian L blend a lot um, from White Labs. Mm -hmm. Belgian L blend too. Um, yeah. But I'm still not beholden to like a saison strain, which is like really nice. Why I'm actually at Terramar now because I can play with some yeast strains, do, right? Yeah, do and. It. Yeah. Denali, I was locked into like profiles that need to happen with these same beer styles all the time. Do you use like the Chico um, yeast up there? Oh, uh, we actually use tremendous products up there. So we oh. use USO5, mm -hmm. SO4, 3470 for lagers, um, pretty much exclusively for Mentis. Uh, we would propagate, you know, and repitch and stuff mm -hmm. like that. But those were the base, that's yeah. what I use. I like those yeasts a lot. And that's, I've used those in Terramar right now a little bit to get us going. Um, mm -hmm. I, especially for like, IPAs, pales, English ales. The SO4 is great for English. You know, the neutral like USO5 is great for most pales and ales and IPAs and whatnot. Mm -hmm. um, and I got a lot of familiarity with those yeast strains from working with them with Denali. Mm -hmm. um, 
But one of the things now that I'm excited about is starting to bring in, you know, these, some of these new yeast providers too that I didn't have a chance to work with, you yeah. know, up there. Um, you know, whether that's Imperial or the guys out of Denver, I forget those guys' name. But there's a lot of small right. yeast guys who are popping up now who, you know, um, we're putting some unique cultures out there. Mm -hmm. So I'm pretty excited to start playing with some of that stuff um, yeah. and start yeah, bringing totally. some of those in. Totally. Yeah. Um, is there a... Uh a brewing hero or a brewery mm. that you really not model yourself yeah, yeah, yeah. after but yeah but, but someone you respect or like yeah. yeah the breweries again that kind of really shine out for me like when i discovered boulevard i thought what they were doing was great and their variety of beers were great and especially out of kansas city i had no idea where they were from yeah um really enjoyed them uh, i learned a lot actually from like brewers in alaska just as i was like growing up and developing you know as a brewer um the brewing culture is very as you know, it's very friendly, very welcoming, very opening, happy to talk shop, happy to compare notes. Um, when I get like starstruck is usually someone who's got a really incredible barrel program. Like when I met one of the brewers from Allagash, I was like, I love what you're doing. I love your white. I love your barrel program. I love your, I mean, I love what you're doing. Tell me everything, you know, mm -hmm. like, um, yeah. can I plug my brain into your brain? For exactly. Just like yeah. For a little bit minutes, here. Yeah. Just 10 minutes is all I need. <laughs> and similar programs. I met the guys from Jester King a while ago when I was mm. at CBC and also just like, how do you do what you do? This is super mm -hmm. cool. How that, that pushes my notion of what beer can be, you know, mm -hmm. even I was discovering sour beers six, seven, eight years ago, whatever. Um, but that, those are usually the breweries that I draw the most respect from or folks that are like usually making an incredible, you know, maybe a mass produced lager pale ipa that's delicious and drinkable but they've got a sour program or an experimental program or a barrel program that is innovative and unique and is kind of pushing some boundaries crux fermentation projects another one that i just love you know because yeah their canned pale is delicious and their barrel aged sours are delicious you I'm know like, make it to bend next year yeah, i haven't been to bend yet i need to go down there and visit oh. all these breweries that i love but like but yeah, that, now that especially that I'm down here in Washington State, it's been really nice because I have more of the ability to go visit these breweries, right? And go meet mm -hmm. some folks. In Alaska, it's phenomenal, but you're also in Alaska. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah. and I know the brewers and the well, breweries. Well, sure, there's another brewery. It's four and a half hours away. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. but, but I could go there uh -huh. if I had the time. <laughs> um, yeah, that, those are probably the ones that I can think of that have like definitely in, influenced me. And a lot of them are because I like that wide variety and gamut of styles of beers mm -hmm. to run the, you know, the sours, the non-sours, the darks, the happies, the pales. Yeah. And those breweries that are doing all of that well, I really, really enjoy. Um, I want to learn from them, right? And get sure. there and yeah. just like, Ooh. Well, that's the thing. You never stop learning. I oh, mean, if you're doing it right. If you you're doing it right, learning. yeah. The beer world is such a big world of beer and there's so much to still learn and develop and grow into. And that was Something that really attracted me to Terramar as well was the ownership team and the group. Yeah. It's all about learning, developing. Sounds like an amazing like, opportunity. They're just really about that. They're not about like, you know, their bottom line is people and, and you know, local food and local culture and making it happen on a local scale yeah. and, and pushing the envelope and learning from each other. And yeah. I was even in, like interviewing for the job and I was like, I still have a lot to learn. I know here's my resume and all my good things about me mm -hmm. and all my strengths, you know, like I want you to let you know, man, I got a lot to learn, you know, yeah. like, and, and that he was like, that's the point in the interview. I really love what you had to say right. because that's like that's what nailed it. we want to hear, you know, yeah. like, and that's yeah. what like, I want to work with someone who has things to learn. doesn't come in there and like A, B and C, we're going to do that right now. You're going to do it in this order and here's yeah. how we're making it happen. Well, it seems to be uh, perfect. You know, you and Mike are just between the two of you. Oh, it's You've got yeah. so much experience. It's crazy. Yeah. yeah. I mean, between us two and then Chris's homebrewing experience, there's like, we're not going to allow each other to fuck something up. Hopefully, you know, right. hopefully someone will step in and be like, no, I've done that. Don't hey, do wait that. a minute. Yeah. Nope. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I've tried that before. <laughs> yeah, totally. And that's the really cool thing about working there is that knowledge and breadth of knowledge. And like I was saying earlier, the diversity of knowledge mm -hmm. is able to bring what you have to the table 
and yeah. have those discussions, but also be like, I've tried that, not going to work. Or that's a great idea. Let's roll with that idea. Yeah. Let's run. Let's do it. Well, one thing that I, th- I feel is unique with you guys is I have, over the years, heard a lot of people that um, have grand ideas like that. Mm-hmm. We're going to be this. We're going to be this. We're right. going to do this. We're going to do that. But when I turned around and walked away, it's like, well, it's never going to happen because they don't have the people and right. they don't have the experience or the knowledge. Yeah. And, uh, and you guys have all that. <laughs> and we're lucky so, to have all that. Exactly. Yeah. And so, and that's hard to come by. It I mean, is, it's, it's very not hard easy, to come by. You know, yeah. it's, yeah, it's like a whole, it's, it's like a marriage into, into itself or, right. you know, like a band, you yep, know, for kind sure. of thing. Like yep. everything has to continue to work and yeah, all the pieces got to fit in correctly. All, everything otherwise has to things fit. start to crumble. Yeah. yeah. So kind of on that note, um, you kind of have a unique experience because you studied in Germany. You kind of, you have a, a global perspective, but also the unique uh, Alaskan pers- mm-hmm. perspective. How do you see the beer industry today? And what do you see happening mm-hmm. in the next five or 10 years? I mean, is there a trend that you oh, see man, that's yeah. actually sustainable? Because it seems like trends come and go so quickly these days. That's something that just like I've, has blown my mind actually being back down here as I feel like in Alaska, those trends don't have the peaks and valleys that they do right. down, down here. Like mm-hmm. their things get like, you know, oh, this is really cool. Let's try some hazy IPAs for instance, right? And I would say in Alaska before I left down there, I could point to like, two breweries for making a hazy IPA, which I'm not, I'm not a huge fan of, mm-hmm. but just the fact that that trend, and I come down here and I go to some breweries, I'm not going to name names, but there's four or five hazy IPAs on mm-hmm. taps and that's it, right? And something yeah. else, maybe a, you know, a porter or something. Um, so I think that tidal wave of trends that really hits and dips down, I didn't, we don't really feel that a lot in Alaska, um, which is another reason why I was kind of ready for something new because it was just kind of like, we can keep selling this beer and people are going to buy it. Um, and I kind of wanted to get in touch with what was being new, innovative, creative in the brewing scene. Um, so coming down here, I, it's been, of course, you know, the, the juicy hazy IPA thing is still going on. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, I thought for a little while that craft pilsners were going to start like taking off. You know, that was kind of what people were looking at and like monitoring how oh, IPAs are kind of fading and mm-hmm. craft Until pilsner. Until they realized what it took to actually make a good one. Exactly. Right. <laughs> and it was like, well, like, this is oh. kind of a... <laughs> We don't, we don't have that kind of money. Yeah, it time? Does take money. Oh, yeah, for sure. It's I mean, like a the, mini winery kind yeah, of thing. Yeah, even just the cost of cooling it down for, you know, three weeks lagering it, you know, the cost mm-hmm. of glycol and infrastructure. And um, and I, it's hard for me to say where the beer scene might go or what trends might be next, you know, just because I'm also kind of new to the trend, you know, situation down here. But something we've talked a lot about at Terramar is how we're like intentionally not trying to follow those trends, but intentionally... Um, trying to be innovative and hopefully be part of a brewing scene and culture that's going to yeah, be new and different, right? Yeah. And even as we're looking for distributors, right, you know, like we have told every single distributor we're looking at, like, we're not going to have a flagship beer, you know, which is usually hard for a distributor to be like, well, if you're not going to give me the it's same be beer. And these distributors are turning around going, well, that's where the market's going. They're coming to us and be like, man, the market's going. They'll say they understand, what is the new but thing? they don't. And they, they're never going to understand, don't. right? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Our whole idea is like, all right, we don't need to have a flagship. But how do we stay relevant, right, in this kind of uh, trendy sort of market, right? We're not going to be an IPA house, but how do we stay relevant? Well, we always have an IPA or two on tap, mm-hmm. you know, and there'll be different IPAs. And there's always something for those IPA drinkers to come in and drink. Yeah. You um, appeal to the home brewers. Appeal <laughs> to the brewers because right, I mean, you're a brewer's yeah. brewer. That, you know, <laughs> and that's, you know, like, hey, we're not going to be this. Right. And that's more to what some, we can say right now. To a lot of people, 
that's an appeal. Yeah, and that's kind of what we're going for right now. It's like, we're not going to be this. Mm -hmm. I can't tell you we're going to be this and fit inside the lines of a farmhouse brewery mm -hmm. or the lines of a yeah. hoppy brewery, the lines of a Belgian brewery. Like, yeah. Come be a part of it and help us decide. We're going to be sorting this yeah. out and figuring this out as we go along. Yeah. And yeah, uh, and not having that just like, here's what you can expect from us. I think it's kind of a, a work in progress and a conversation you know, mm -hmm. that I really enjoy. And I love people come in our tap room and building and go like, Oh, I love your tap list. Like you got a little bit of everything. Like that's what I want to hear. It's like yeah. there's something for you to drink here, right, man? I like, probably said yeah. that to Eric before you came before you came around to the table. Nice. And that's like, something I'm really This is great. <laughs> that's what I love. When I go, I mean, that's what I want people to find a beer they want to enjoy. People are always mm -hmm. like, Oh, what what should they drink? I'm like, they should drink what they want. They should drink what they like to drink. The first question you should ask them as a server is, what do you like to drink? Mm -hmm. You know, not try to cram them down with the next biggest thing and the next hoppiest yeah. thing. Have the like, servers be educated. Yeah, so they can describe the, the beer are. properly and accurately, exactly. but just describe what they are and not express a preference exactly. for what is good and what is bad. Exactly. Um, and that's been a little bit challenging, Terramar, but we're sure. getting there, you know? Yeah. It always is. Yeah, yeah, and that's always the point of sale because that's the person who's talking about your product, right? Mm -hmm. Is that's the first and only interaction they're going to have with that beer mm -hmm. is the person who's selling it to them or yeah. pouring it for them. Yeah. And you don't know if that person outside of the counter is a 50-year home brewer or if they've never had a beer in their life before. Exactly. But you've got to talk to both the same way you yeah. know, and accurately. And yeah. And I think once word starts getting out, um, you know, I mean, at least to all 20 people that are listening to this. <laughs> at least. Um, I think you're going to see a lot of brewers come down, mm. um, you know, or up from Seattle sure. area and stuff, because if you guys continue the way that that you want to continue yeah. and the way that ostensibly you should be able to continue, I think you're going to become a destination. And that's the I'm, whole I'm idea, really excited. right? Yeah, that's, I'm that's, excited, and that's why I got excited about working down there. But that was that's the whole business model. And when I interviewed there and talked about working down here and being a part of this whole team and enterprise, they want to be a destination brewery. People to come there to try the products there on site and have an experience while they're there. Um, and that's why we've got 12 taps, right? You yeah. Know, so we can run the gamut of beers and hopefully get folks in there to be drinking them. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah. I'll, I will do my best. <laughs> All right. So these are, uh, this is just kind of a more of a rapid fire mm. thing. It's just asking for favorites. Cool. Um, what's your favorite grain? Paul Munich. Okay. If I had to choose one, <laughs> yeah. yeah, I love Munich. If I had, it's just versatile and it does a lot. And, and I mean, I just, if I had to choose one grain, a good Munich malt, probably. Yeah. You know. Base grain, specialty. Exactly. It can do a lot. It's versatile. It can do a lot it's, so much. It's, it's, yeah, I use it a lot in different styles of beer, but almost every beer that I make has Munich. Okay. <laughs> that's just, that's I really, yeah. if it's well done, right? There's certain Munichs, yeah. you know, that I not well, so Sometimes not it's so 1%, sometimes it's yeah. 80%. For sure. Just yep. depends. Uh, what about hop? Whew, that's a, that's a very I tough know. one. Yeah. It's a very tough one. Um, Next one's going to be worse. You can probably see it coming. I can probably see it coming. <laughs> um, yeah. <laughs> um, I at first, I when I first smelled Simcoe, I fell in love with Simcoe. I oh. still love Simcoe. Yep. Um, it's kind of that middle line between the piney, citrusy, grapefruity before the kind of fruit the revolution took yeah. over. Mm -hmm. You know, it's kind of that middle ground, like yeah. post just pine, and before we got to like our citra mosaic land mm -hmm. that everyone lives in now. Um, I will say I'm not the biggest mosaic fan and everyone always like yeah. derides me for it. But I just like, for some reason it just tastes like artificial candy to me huh. and artificial, like just, yeah, it's like not my favorite hop. Yeah. And I love, I mean, I think it works well with other hops. I've used yeah. it in conjunction with other hops, but, uh, and brewers love that, that hop and people love that hop. And maybe it's just me and my own flavor profile. Mm -hmm. Um, I do love Citra. Like everyone else loves Citra, but mm -hmm. I do like Citra. Um, I like some of the smaller hops that people don't use a lot of, um, like, uh, Bavarian Mandrina. Ooh, um, I don't know that one. That's a German-grown uh, hop that's 
very like mandarin. It's almost like straight orange mandarin. It's sweet and citrusy. It's really nice. Something with that. Um, Huel Melon's another one out of Germany. That's when I love that hop as well. A nice like cantaloupe melon profile mm -hmm. to it. Um, so yeah, I kind of like enjoy finding some hop profiles that maybe aren't the trademarked so super popular one yeah. that are also going to cost you an arm and a leg to get and maybe not for us also not be on contracts, not be able to source right away. Um, all right. So the obvious next question, what's your favorite yeast? <laughs> oh man. Oh, unfair. I know. Unfair, <laughs> man. Um, favorite yeast. It's not the one that I use very often or all the time, but Munich Classic um, is a Lalamon strain um, out of the Domans Academy. Mm -hmm. And it's just got a really, really, really nice phenolic clove property to it. Um, that is more so than any other strain that I've worked with for a half or sort of style of beer, a Munich half style of beer. Mm -hmm. um, it's just really, really nice on the phenolic end. And I don't use it very often. Um, but I, I really enjoy what it does for the, you got to control it quite a bit. You got to mash appropriately. I go through a stages of rising fermentation and cooling it back down. Um, but I really enjoy what that yeast strain can do. Other than that, that Belgian L blend two from white labs. I've used a lot for various styles, everything from white IPAs to Belgian dark strongs to it's say like the 595 or five. Yeah. 575 or something. Or something like 575. Yeah, I think it's yeah, I've only yeah. used that once. Um, I was really happy with it. Yeah, it, 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 you can do a lot under certain temperature yeah. controls too. Yeah, you know, I'd let it roll with the saison. I'd keep it kind of mellow for Belgian dark strongs mm -hmm. and like almost every Belgian I do, I knock out fairly low, like yeah. at the bottom end of the of the spectrum right. for that yeast, and then just let it go. Let it ramp. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Yeah. yeah, it's great. Yeah, you yeah. get that on a hundred and twenty barrel system that can ramp a little far sometimes. So <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. I can imagine. Yeah, yeah I can imagine. It's nice thing about Terramar though, back to fifteen barrels and a little more controlled. I'm always thinking about like massive hydrostatic head pressure from 240 barrel tank yeah. so you know it's that's a, a good size brew for how big we are too like yeah. you really don't have to brew that Still often a lot of beer know. though it is a and, lot of and beer for making through, yeah. that many beers yes yeah. it's, it's a lot it is a lot uh, yeah all right well um i'm gonna start wrapping this up a little bit nice. um this is my favorite question <laughs> i ripped it off from the dinner party download which okay. was, was one of my favorite podcasts and uh the question is tell us something that we don't know and it can be anything. Hmm. Okay. I don't know. Um, we talked about being a drummer already. I talked about that. I'm a drummer. I, I, uh, to me, the drums. I don't, I don't think know the podcast. That. Okay. Yeah, that's right. You're so a I'm into yeah. some pretty obscure rock music and mm -hmm. some pretty obscure music in general and uh, played in various bands and yeah, just left a band in Alaska that we finished recording an album and then Promptly, I left yep. to go here, so, yep. and the bass player left to go to Florida. And, oh, wow. So I no longer a band anymore. That uh, happens in, uh, but, in, in Alaska. Uh, yeah, but pretty obscure rock music, pretty obscure bands, and pretty, even like things like noise rock and things that are very kind of off the cuff that I can listen to on my own time because mm -hmm. the wife's not a big fan. Most people aren't a big fan. Oh, yeah. yeah no, most no, people no. are not, you know. I mentioned like, Rush, Steph. <laughs> not <Nope>. so much. <laughs> yeah. Nope. Uh, but that's a really, really good outlet for me mm -hmm. um it's the only way i think i stay sane i say a lot of times mm -hmm. it's very physical it's very uh therapeutic <laughs> for yeah. me oh yeah um, guitar is therapy for me yeah it's like i i have to be doing it um mm -hmm. the tougher thing about drums is it's harder to do it on your own in a mm -hmm. small space you know right. usually put on some headphones and try to listen to something mm -hmm. um but starting to try to meet some musicians to start playing some music with so that's been yeah. fun yeah um but yeah, other than that, what else do we not know? I lived in Denmark for a while. That was really cool too. Really yeah. enjoyed living in Denmark. That would be cool. Very different society than the States, which mm -hmm. I really enjoyed. 
But uh, yeah, <laughs> socialist pinko commies. I know, right? Those <clears throat> bastards taking care of each other. I don't <laughs> understand. <true>. Yeah, <laughs> totally. <laughs> do you have uh, Do you have any advice for people who would like to be where you are right now, or as far I as the journey now. goes? Um, as far as brewing journey goes, um, I would say be ready to do anything and everything. I think brewing gets glamorized a lot. I think it becomes like, a, oh, I'm going to brew. Brewing is so cool. I mean, I've, I've, no, I've had new hires that I've hired and I've trained and it's been, you know, three weeks in and they're like, not for me. Mm-hmm. I'm like, sweet. See you at seven o'clock tomorrow See morning. You, yeah, exactly. Get ready to be wet. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> um, and so I would say like, just be willing to do the things that no one else wants to do, right? And, mm-hmm. and like be willing to sweep up the grain and vacuum out the mill or wipe down the dust in the mill room, you know, or <laughs> haul out the trash or, you know, just the small things that no one really likes doing, get in the mash ton vessel and scrub it, you know, um, and be observant, right? Don't, don't come out there thinking, you know, you want to do this, just observe, stand behind and follow, you know, if you, especially you're being trained from someone or if you're learning some things, um, I would say, yeah, do the things that no one wants to do. Be ready to be a janitor. You're a glorified janitor. That's, that's all you really are as a brewer. And that's mm-hmm. part of what I love about brewing is how physical it is and how tangible it is. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's not a glamorous, it's a blue collar. It's a factory job. It's a factory, blue collar, wet, steamy, hot, chemically environment. Yeah. You Two know, temperatures like... in a brewery, hot and wet and cold and wet. <laughs> that's about it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. That's a good point. You know, I always... Well, not so much anymore, but but when people ask me about getting hired in a brewery, mm-hmm. it's like, well, show them that they can't not hire you. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You're you know, willing to do whatever you're willing to, to do, yeah. whatever it is. And you if know. you don't understand, you're going to ask the question, how do I do this? How can we do this? Yeah. Instead of assuming and pushing a button or pulling yeah. a valve and be well, around. I thought if I did this, it might have this happen. Yeah. No, 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 no. Yeah. yeah. Be around. Volunteer your time. Yeah. Show them that you're committed. Mm-hmm. And then when they need somebody, you're the first in line. Be the first one to volunteer. You're the first I mean, in that's, line. Everything yeah. I did was just like being the yes man. You know, mm-hmm. yeah, I'll do that. Who wants to learn? I want to learn. Who wants yeah. to pick up this? I'll pick that up. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, Greg, thanks again for for taking the time out. Uh, it's a pleasure. Man. Thanks right for... before you head out for the holidays to uh, <laughs> to uh, New York, New Jersey, to the family. Yeah, I gotta yeah. go to see the, the in-laws. <laughs> yep. I just watched The Sopranos. Finally, I'd never oh, watched oh, really? it. Oh, really? Nice. So uh, I'm all. Feel like I'm up on my jersey. I think I yeah I watched it like four like years it. ago for the first time. Too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'd never. I was seen well it. behind the curve. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Uh, but is there anything that I missed that you'd like to add? Huh. No, no, no. I don't think so. Uh, I'm, yeah, I mean, uh, I'm really grateful for the brewing journey I've had. I still feel like I'm super young. Also, like yeah. I'm, I'm 33 and I have a oh, lot of yeah. time to grow and develop and see what's next. And that's largely why I took this job with Terramar and coming down here was the next step in my brewing career. Yeah and a different focus. And I'm just super grateful for what I've been able to do in the last several years uh, at Denali and what I'm doing now. I just feel like it's an industry that was fairly easy to get into. And I got into it probably at the right time as well, you know, in the early 2000s. But um, the industry is great. I'm super grateful for other breweries and other brewers. I'm really stoked meeting folks around here and starting to collaborate and work with them. And um, yeah, just grateful, I guess, for for where I'm at and what I've done and what I'm mm-hmm. able to do, I feel lucky, um, you know, that I can be a middle-class white American man and really enjoy my job, right? Mm-hmm. And hopefully yeah. give back in a way to people that's in a tangible way. I mean, I don't think it's not charity work, but it is beer and hopefully, you know, people enjoy it. And yeah, that's I, collaborative. Yeah. I think it's collaborative for yeah. the public. 
I don't think it, it's not a one-way street, right? I mean, and someone's got to enjoy what you're producing. Otherwise, it's not going to... When gonna, you're doing it for money, you got to be able to sell it. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And hopefully it's not just about the money. You know, on the bottom line, that's another thing that I'm really happy with not being, per se, an owner right now is right. that it's not my bottom line. And that's, unfortunately, that's not a stress I have. Or fortunately, it's not a stress I have. Yeah, but, yeah. Um, but I like being able to help ownership groups achieve their goals. You know, mm -hmm. something that was really exciting for me at Denali to see that grow. And I'm excited to help work with Chris and Terramar and Jen and grow that yeah. brand and that desire. So well, I'm just I'm grateful for, you. for the next step. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I'm excited for you. It was, it was really good to meet you. Good yeah. To good to meet down. you too, man. Thanks for the time. Appreciate yeah. that. Absolutely. Greg Spore, people. I'm already looking forward to hanging out again with that guy soon. And of course, getting down to Terramar again. Just remember, they're closed on Tuesdays. Thanks again to Greg for taking the time to sit down for an hour or so before heading out of town. Holidays are so fun. Okay, folks. I know I said February would be the last episode with the tap trail, but this month is all me. I'm still deciding how best to proceed or, honestly, whether to proceed at all. Tapped In will be going on a little hiatus, at least through February and maybe into March. I'm not sure yet. I don't have anyone lined up to interview at this point, and I just have to decide if it's worth it to me and to you. It takes a considerable amount of time and energy to do these, so I'm just going to sit on it for a month or so and see how I feel. I'll just come out and say that I didn't hear from anyone last month regarding thoughts on how to proceed, and that's the reason that I'm taking a month or so to consider things. So if you would like for this to continue, then let me know. I would love to do it, but I don't want to do it for no one. <laughs> uh, if you don't want me to continue this, let me know that. If you'd like to see them go in a different direction or even be something else entirely, let me know. If you or your business or someone you know is interested in sponsoring this, let me know. Reach me directly at g-u-i-t-s-e-t at gmail.com g-u-i-t-s-e-t at gmail.com all right that's all i got i hope your new year is going well and things are good with you and perhaps we'll chat again cheers <laughs>